Greetings, dear saints. I pray that you are well and encouraged in your faith. I want to continue on with you as we journey through the book of Revelation. This book can be viewed from this simple perspective. In the midst of terrible tribulation, behold your God, worship him so that you may stand firm in your faith in the midst of this great spiritual battle. Be confident and hopeful for you have been given the victory and the king is coming. We've been looking at chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and I want to continue to look at this passage, and let me read it for you. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we have seen in this greeting that there is a threefold revelation of Jesus Christ. We looked at the first one last time, that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. The second revelation is that he is the firstborn from among the dead, and we want to uh, look at that this time. The third revelation is that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, in these three revelations, there are three assurances that we can have. The first one, because Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, we are assured that God is with us, and we looked at that last time. Secondly, because Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead, we are assured that God has redeemed us. And thirdly, because Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, we are assured that God is sovereign over us. So this greeting and this revelation of Jesus Christ, this threefold revelation of Jesus Christ, has these three assurances. And I want to repeat them because they're important. God is with you, God has redeemed you, and God is sovereign over you. We want to look at the second one this morning. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, so therefore we are assured that God has redeemed us. And before we do that, let me pray for us. And now, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, it reads as follows. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a beautiful verse, a passage about our identity, and it tells us that God foreknew us and he, he predestined us to be like Jesus. God chose you from before the creation of the world to be like his son. And he sent his son to be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And the idea here of the firstborn is that he goes ahead 
to pave the way so that we can follow and be identified with what he does. And that's really important. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. He went ahead of us, and he's the firstborn from among the dead. And the emphasis here in the book of Revelation is that that Jesus Christ is the firstborn in his death and in his resurrection. He went ahead of us in his death and in his resurrection so that we could follow and identify personally with what he did. And the Holy Spirit has this here this revelation of Jesus Christ as the firstborn from among the dead because he wants us to see how important it is to have these truths impact our lives when we find ourselves in the midst of great tribulation and great difficulty. And so this morning, we want to see this. First of all, we want to look at the fact of the cross Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he made this statement in John 19, verse 30. It is finished. Something happened on the cross that God had intended to happen before the creation of the world. He wanted to present the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it reads as follows. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, what's really important to see here is that you and I have been reconciled with God. That means that we now have a right relationship with him. That's what the cross accomplished. You and I are reconciled to God. It doesn't matter what state of mind I'm in right now. It doesn't matter what state of mind the world is in right now. The state that matters is that my standing with God is that I've been reconciled with him through the cross and through the shedding of the blood of his son. But not only that, not only have I been reconciled, but because the fact that I've been reconciled, reconciled, I can just simply be at peace with him. I may be in turmoil in my circumstances. The world may be in turmoil. But can I step back a second and simply say, God, in the midst of all this, I'm reconciled to you. Let me just simply walk in peace because of that. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In Colossians 1 and 19 and 20, we saw that the cross affects our relationship with God. We've been reconciled and we can have peace. In this passage, it tells us that the cross also affects our relationship with Satan. The cross destroyed his power over us. 
we are free from his power. He held the power of death, and death can no longer hold me because of the cross. Isn't that beautiful? And sometimes you just need to say to Satan, Satan, death cannot hold me. You see, the fear of death is what Satan uses to control people in so many ways. And in the cross, that was taken away from him. Yes, Satan can still harm my body, and you can see that in the book of Revelation when it talks about all of the martyrs that are crying out to God. You can see that in the world today, in, in the persecuted church, and especially uh, in the Mideast where so many Christians are losing their lives as they stand firm in their faith. But this is what Satan can never do. He cannot cause a physical death to separate anyone from God. He may harm your body, but he cannot harm your identity in Christ, nor can he harm your inheritance in Christ, your eternal inheritance. More about that later, but that's what's really important, is that, listen, the cross changed the relationship I have with God, and it changed the relationship I have with Satan. Interesting way to look at it, isn't it? The next passage I want to read is from Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, isn't this wonderful? The first thing that we need to see here is that Christ, his death on the cross, through his death, through his shedding of the blood, we have been forgiven from all of our sins. And everything that was held against us, everything that the law held against us, all our fracturedness, all our failures, all of our sins, everything that was held against us was canceled out. It was like everything you've ever done in your life, every wrong thing, every wrong thought, if it was all written down on a piece of paper from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, Jesus took that, God took that and said, listen, I'm going to nail that now. And you weren't even born yet, but I'm going to nail that now to the cross. It's all been taken care of. Isn't that amazing? So because of that, the principalities and powers have been disarmed. You see, the cross changed not only your relationship with God and not only your relationship with Satan, but it changed your relationship with the principalities and powers because now they have nothing on you. If You see, God is so faithful. He's faithful and just so that when you forgive, confess your sins, he forgives you your sins and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Because he goes back and says, listen, the sin that you committed today, I knew about before I created you and I've already put that on the cross. So it's forgiven, just admit to it. Isn't that amazing? And so the principalities have nothing on you. And not only do you have to say to Satan sometimes, Satan, death cannot hold me. But you need to say to the principalities and powers sometimes, principalities and powers, you have nothing on me. Isn't that a great declaration? You see, 
through the cross and by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, there are these five things that we have. Our sins are forgiven. We have been reconciled to God. Death has no power over me. The principalities and powers have nothing on me. And I can be at peace with God. You see, that's the beauty of Jesus Christ being the firstborn from among the dead. He's gone ahead of us. And so we need to follow him and enter, enter into the truth of the cross. Now, the second part of this is not, not only his death, but his resurrection. What Jesus said about his resurrection is this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, that question is an important question for us to ask ourselves. Do I really believe in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ? That that the resurrection is tied up in a person. I have historical proof. I have this assurance. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The cross we celebrate on Good Friday that just was not too long ago. And the, and the empty tomb, the resurrection, we celebrate on Easter Sunday, which was just a couple of weeks ago. And do I live in the reality of Good Friday and do I live in the reality of Easter Sunday? Because those have been given me to, to live out. Now listen to First Peter 1, 3 through 7. And it is a beautiful point of, of worship. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I love this verse because it is a verse that is filled with the idea of worship. St. Peter starts out worshiping by simply saying, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I would expect that there is a great expression in his heart of worship here. And you can almost feel it as you read this text, can't you? And the idea is we need to start out worshiping when we think of what God has done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because first of all, he has given us two things. He has given us new birth into a living hope. If I walk in the truth of the resurrection, I'm alive with hope. 
It doesn't matter the circumstance I'm in. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If, if I believe in the resurrection, I can walk in a living hope. And that is a gift that God wants to impart to the, from the Holy Spirit to each of us right now. God wants us to live in hope because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The second thing that we are given is we were born into an inheritance. Listen, I have an inheritance in heaven. Now, I may live 70, 75 years. That's nothing compared to eternity. And God has already given me an inheritance and put it in heaven for me. Satan cannot touch it. It's protected by faith. I believe that I have this inheritance and it's going to be revealed one day. And that's an important thing to count on. Life, we only have so much life here. Eternity is going to be a long time and I've got an inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Those two things have been assured us by the resurrection, a living hope, and an eternal inheritance. And it's ready to be revealed in this last time. Now, I want you to realize that the New Testament writers felt that the end of all things was going to happen at any time. And that's the way that the, the, the church has always looked at things, and it's the way it should look at things. Now, in every generation, every generation thinks that this generation is the last generation. And whenever a catastrophe comes up or some th- terrible things, oppression or holocaust or, or a genocide comes up in history or a world war, that generation uh, believes that this is the sign of the last time. And certainly you, you can see that happening now. And then every generation looks at the political leaders of the time and they look at the evil ones and they believe that that's the, that's the beast, that's the, the Antichrist. And of course, for generations that's happened and I suppose that will never change. Uh, but the fact is, is, is that that doesn't necessarily mean it is the last time. There will come a day when, when, um, when God says, okay, that's the end, but no one knows the day, or the hour. And so I think we can get in a lot of trouble when, when the world, uh, kind of the things that are going on in the world cause us to look at the book of Revelation and try and figure out, oh no, uh, who's the beast? And you know all of those, those questions that really the book of Revelation uh, doesn't really answer. It doesn't tell us who and when. It tells us what. The who and when is left up to God. The point of the book of Revelation is this. In the trials and tribulations that you are going through right now, these are the principles that you need to apply so that you can make it. Yes, one day all of this is going to come to an end and be fulfilled. But what about your life right now in what you're going through? What about your trials, tribulations, and suffering? Who is God? Who are you? This is how you overcome. And it says this, in this you greatly rejoice. And the idea, what do I rejoice in? I greatly rejoice that I have been given new birth into a living hope. And I greatly rejoice in the fact that I have an eternal inheritance that no one can touch. And then it says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
you see, and, and, and we are, some of us, suffering grief in all kinds of trials right now. And what this text is saying, listen, do I concentrate on my grief and my trials and the uncertainty of life and the dangerous possibilities that confront me? Or do I focus on what God has given me and the assurances I have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I need to make a choice there. And then it says, the reason why all these trials happen, listen, all that's happening in the world now, there may have been some intentions by Satan to steal, kill, and destroy, but God is allowing this to happen to test my faith so that my faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, that my faith may be proven genuine. Is my faith right now in the middle of what I'm going through, in the difficulties that I'm facing, is my faith proving to be genuine? You see, that's the question we have to ask ourselves, isn't it? How is what's going on right now affecting my faith? Am I growing? Am I looking at God and saying, God, this is who you are. So therefore, because this is who you are, this is who I am right now. You see, that's what we have to ask ourselves during this time. And it can be a hard question and a difficult question, but it's a question we need to ask. Because what God wants to happen is that my life, your life, as I go through these trials in faith, rejoicing at what God has done in the resurrection of Jesus, that my, my life results in praise, glory, and honor to God when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, both of these words, the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed and when Jesus Christ is revealed, are the same word used in the book of Revelation, Apocalypsis, and it means, of course, a, a unveiling now, one day, Jesus Christ is going to be revealed when he comes back, and we look forward to that, and it's an important part of the book of Revelation. But he's always being revealed in me and to me. That's the whole point. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory, and he's real. And the idea of this, all, this text also is this. Listen. As I go through the great trials and tribulations of life, and as things press in, whether they're small or whether they're large, whether they're just inconsistencies or, or things that are really difficult, or whether to they're the point of death, do I go through those things with a great confidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that I walk in faith, so that the life of Christ is revealed in me, and that as the life of Christ is revealed in me, I give glory, honor, and praise to God. You see, that's the, really the point of this, isn't it? And so this revelation of Jesus, this revelation that he is the firstborn from among the dead, shows us, listen, that in his death, on the cross, and by his blood, I'm given something. 
In his resurrection from the dead, I'm given something. He went ahead of me. He was the pioneer of my faith. He wants me to follow and enter into his death and resurrection and be strengthened by them right in the midst of what's happening right now. And that's our point of prayer. And I simply want to pray this little prayer. And I know you, you can pray your own prayers, but I, I like to pray a little prayer to just give you an example of how to pray through Scripture. And I want to pray this for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in the, in the death of your Son on the cross and by the shedding of his blood, we have been reconciled to you. We have been forgiven our sins and we can be at peace before you. Thank you that the power of the evil one has been broken. He cannot harm my identity in Christ, nor can he steal my internal inheritance. Death cannot hold me, and the principalities and powers have nothing against me. Thank you that through the resurrection of your Son, I have been given freedom, a living hope, and the promise of victory. I pray that as I go through these present trials, that I would walk in these truths and that my faith might be proven and my life may give you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Well, I want to remind you to keep reading aloud our, our text and expect God to bless you. And I pray that you would walk in the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that our, our God keeps you safe, body, soul, and spirit. Until next time, God bless and keep you.